0: So if you turn in your Bibles or your phones to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we we're just finishing the last couple of chapters in our 1 Corinthians series, the foundation series. And just so you remember, um, Paul is writing a letter to a church that he founded in the city of Corinth. And uh, that that church had written him and they were asking him questions. Uh, About things about the church and the way that he had left it and his letters are intended to set them straight or set them on the foundation that he first laid in Corinth and so we called this series the foundation series and he wants to get the church Paul does he wants to get the church reset on the basic foundation stones of what they should be believing and remember we covered some of them last winter we covered unity and grace and purity and humility And freedom from idolatry and the proper use of our liberty and using our gifts in the body and all those different things that we have covered are all foundational church-wide teachings that Paul wants to lay. And he is, as you remember when we talked about those things, Paul is laying those foundation stones of unity and grace and purity and all those things on the cornerstones of Jesus and the gospel. So Paul wants explicitly to tie everything back to Jesus and to the good news the gospel of what jesus did so he wants us to be anchored on that he wants us to be set on those stones all of paul's answers that he gives are set on christ and the gospel and so in chapter 4 15 paul's going to do that again paul is going to uh anchor the church back on a foundation stone something that they that should be basic to their faith that they have to understand His church in Corinth has started to lean off their foundation. It started to drift off their anchor on a key issue. Is it just me or am I getting it off the monitors? There's like a ring in an echo. Sorry, it's just me? Okay, sorry. (laughs) Maybe it's just in my head. Uh, Could be. (laughs) There's not a lot going on in there sometimes. Um, So in chapter 15... Uh, Paul is doing that again he the church that he founded Corinth is starting to lean off of their foundation they're starting to drift off their anchor on on a key issue of the gospel and it's this issue that that Paul wants to pull them back into line emphatically and the issue that they're slipping on is this amazing final climactic result of the work of Jesus and the promise of God which is our bodily resurrection and our glorification That's what chapter 15 is all about. It's about resurrection and glorification. And as he replies to his church, Paul writes in verse 12, he says, if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? And so that's our little key. This is what he's answering. Some of the people in in Corinth were missing the fact that there was a bodily resurrection, that people were not going to be resurrected in the end. And they were beginning to doubt that this was happening for believers. And so some of them may have believed, as some of the Jews did, that there just was no resurrection at all. We're just resurrected in a spirit, and there's no bodily resurrection at all. Or as other believes, in sort of an early installment of the Left Behind book series, some people believe that the resurrection had already happened, and they missed it. The resurrection happened with Jesus, and the people after Jesus had missed out on the resurrection, and so that wasn't going to happen for them. And uh, so they were left behind and then other people just sort of believed in a generic spiritual resurrection that like a lot of the pagans believed that there there was an afterlife everybody at this time pretty much universally would have believed that there was an afterlife all of the different religions would have believed that there was some sort of spiritual resurrection but that it wasn't bodily and that you lost your identity essentially you just sort of you weren't you anymore once you, were, once you were resurrected and specifically in this chapter that you couldn't enjoy the pleasures of the body anymore after you were resurrected, that there was no bodily physical resurrection and that anything in this world, you should get it while you can because once you de- you're dead, it's gone. You might be resurrected in spirit, but you won't be able to, you know, taste barbecued steak again, uh, you know, so, so get it while you can. And Paul touches on that later as well in the chapter. But whatever their exact error was, Paul wants to correct the mistake in their thinking and help them understand the reality of the resurrection and specifically the glorification of all believers as a result of what Jesus did for us. Paul wants to ground their knowledge of the resurrection in the accomplishment of Jesus and what Jesus did. And this isn't just theology, it's not just philosophical debate to Paul, it's not just talking about, you know, how many angels are there or, you know, things like that. Paul is teaching this, saying that there are practical life-changing reasons why the church and why Christians need to understand resurrection and glorification, because it changes your life now if you understand that correctly. It affects the way you live. It's a foundation stone of the gospel, this knowledge of our resurrection and the knowledge of our glorification. And so we need this rock, we need this as one of our foundation stones, or we will lack something significantly significant in our Christian life. And we may miss the best part of the good news entirely if we don't really understand the good news of our glorification. We want to hear all the good news, and we want to live in the reality of all the good news. And so what is this glorification that Paul is teaching about in chapter 15? And it's a hugely long chapter, as you can see, so I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to touch on certain verses as we go through it. And so if you have it open there in front of you, um, it will help you. But to to get into this idea of glorification, because we talk about the different jargon that we have in church, and glorification, that's one of them that we have. And we need to explain it. We need to understand. Glorification is the final transformation of our physical bodies after the resurrection of our souls. And so unlike many other religions, especially at Paul's time, God doesn't say we're only going to be resurrected in spirit. God says we're going to be resurrected in body, that we are going to not only have a spiritual or our soul goes to heaven or enters into the presence of God, but that we will be bodily resurrected and transformed. And that bodily resurrection and transformation is to be glorified. It's it's glorification. And I get that from Philippians 3.20, not directly from this text, although Paul refers to it. In Philippians 3, 20 to 21, he says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And so there's lots of other places. I won't get into it. But Paul basically says Jesus is going to take our lowly body and he's going to transform it into something like his glorious body. And so there's this transformation, physical transformation that takes place. And Paul wants the people of Corinth, he wants his Christian brothers and sisters to know this and know what it means for them, that this is what happens, that this is what's in store for us. And glorification is something that God planned from the beginning, that it was always in God's mind that he would be surrounded by these glorified people, by us in our glory. It says in Romans 8:29, he says, for those whom he foreknew, he, he also... For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so God has always had in mind from the very beginning of time that he was going to glorify the people that follow him. And so Paul is speaking to this issue of glorification, this final conclusion of the good news of Jesus Christ, the reward at the end of it all. And so when we talk about glorification, it's something we expect as a culmination, as a completing of the work of Jesus. And it's a glory that goes on forever. And we're going to talk about more about what that glorification actually is in just a few minutes. But at this point, we just need to understand that Paul is talking about the promise of our resurrection in bodies and that those bodies are going to be different and they're going to be transformed. They're going to be bodies like Jesus has now. So what does Paul want to communicate about this? What is he writing this particular section of the letter to his church in Corinth about what response is he expecting from his readers. And first of all, just very quickly, I want you to see in the very first few verses there, um, from 1 to 5 approximately... Paul starts out with the gospel. If you're ever looking for just a summary of the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, you can just keep that in mind right at the beginning. Paul wants to ground this in the gospel. He's saying to them, I want you to remember this. This is important to your spiritual life and to your faith that you remember this. I want to remind you of something. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. And by this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the Twelve, and then he goes on and talks about the appearances of Jesus. And so Paul says the good news of what Jesus did, people, remember this, includes his resurrection. The gospel doesn't end with Jesus on a cross. The good news of the gospel includes Jesus' bodily resurrection that was witnessed by many people and his transformation and his going up to heaven. And people saw that Jesus you know, didn't just die and then he's with God in spirit, that Jesus came back in bodily form and was resurrected in the body. And so why are you then saying that there's no resurrection of the dead, he says in verse 12? If Christ isn't raised, then what is the point of the gospel? There's no power in our faith and our sins aren't forgiven and and God's promises aren't faithful if the resurrection isn't part of the good news that's part of your faith. And so why are you saying that? Why are you saying there's no resurrection of the dead? Don't you know how important this is? It's important to the gospel. It's important to your own future that you understand the reality of the resurrection of the dead and what it means and the good news of it. So he says farther down in verse 20, he says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And so Paul sets the stage for this reality of the resurrection, that there is a hope that we should have. And that's one of my first points, that there is a hope in a bodily resurrection beyond this life. And that there is a hope of a a time of glorification where the things in our bodies now get transformed into something more glorious than what we could imagine. And there's three points that I want to make on this. There's three ways in which I think Paul wants the knowledge of the resurrection to function in the lives of believers. There's three things at least, and there's actually 50 things in here, but there's three things this morning that I want you to want to get across that I think Paul is, is... imploring emphatically that his Christian brothers and sisters would know about the resurrection and about their glorification. That it should provide hope in hard seasons of life. That it should give them confidence in living their life for the gospel. And that it should give them joy in the future hope of their glorification. So Paul wants them to understand the hope, the confidence, and the joy that's inherent in our resurrection and our glorification. Paul intends, first of all, that this, be, this news of the resurrection be a source of hope for his brothers and sisters in Corinth. Because just like churches everywhere, just like life everywhere, just as we've prayed about this morning, we live in a fallen world and in sinful bodies and in sick bodies. And we live in times where we wonder, you know, what is the point of the suffering that we go through? And Paul is holding out to the Christians here a hope in glorification. He wants Christians to be caught up in the desire to be made as perfect in their reflection of the glory of God. And in his letter to the Philippians, he says it this way. He says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor to me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. And he's choosing between life and death. He says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. And so Paul is putting in people's mind here the idea that if you understand the resurrection and you understand the glorification, then there is a part of your life that knows with certainty that to be with Christ is far better than what is on this earth. And Paul wants this idea to come across to the Corinthians. Look, glorification is as good as it sounds. And when you, like Paul, are facing torture or illness or imprisonment or even death, Paul is grounding his hope and he's grounding our hope in the culmination of the gospel that Jesus died, he conquered death, he was the firstborn into a glorified body and to set the stage for what is coming for you. That's why you cannot forget that there is a resurrection and there's a glorification coming. Because Paul wants, regardless of what is going on in this life, for you to, at the back of your mind or at the top of your mind to always be remembering that there is a glory that's coming that far surpasses anything you can know here. Now, it's perfectly normal for you not to want to experience death. Paul's own preference was that he wouldn't experience death first. Paul was not all rambunctious to die. Okay, It wasn't his preference that he would see death. If you turn forward just a few pages in your Bible, it's probably four or five pages ahead of where you are. Paul's talking about this again in 2 Corinthians 5. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 4 to 9, he says, and he's using the analogy of a tent for this body, he says, for while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. And he says, not that we would be unclothed, and he's using the example of our body as clothing. So he says, not that I want to be rid of the body that I have and just be a spirit. I like my body. I I don't just want to be a spirit. So not that I would be unclothed, even though I'm groaning and burdened, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life or by what is immortal. And so Paul is saying here, it's it's my preference, even though I'm groaning, even though I'm burdened, I don't want to just leave this body and be a spirit. What would be even better for me, my preference is that Christ would come now and I would get my resurrection body on top of this body and I wouldn't have to go through the unclothing process of being just a spirit for a while. So he says, I don't want to just be a spirit for a while. What I really would prefer is that I get my resurrection body right now and not be a spirit in between but he says he who but he says that he who has prepared us for these very things is god who has given us the spirit as a guarantee and paul says despite his preference he still says any outcome that gets him to jesus is good so he goes on and he says for we are always of good courage we know that while we are at home in the body we're away from the lord so he says on the other hand if i stay in this body i'm away from the lord for if we walk by faith not by sight Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. So what's Paul saying here? He's basically saying, I would prefer that Christ come and I just get clothed. I get clothed on top of this clothing. I don't really want to be a spirit. But then he says, but if I'm in this body, that means I'm away from the Lord. So you know what? Really, if I was away from this body to be with the Lord, it would be better. So my second preference would be to be away from this body and with the Lord. You know, And the worst possible thing would be to not have the Lord at all in any body or spirit. So Paul, it's, it's normal to not want to die. It's normal to not want to go through that. Paul didn't want to go through it himself. He would rather have the, the glorification body come upon himself. But he knew that he would rather be at home with the Lord than not have the Lord at all. And so he doesn't want to experience death any more than any of us do. But as he wrote in Philippians, sitting in jail after the beatings and after the attacks and after the sickness and after the death, he, he knew that death wasn't something to be feared. He knew that it was something that to depart from this body was to be with Christ. And so the first thing is the hope in the hard seasons of life that we're in as much grief and sorrow and compassion as these seasons in our life require, Paul fixes the hearts of his people on something greater. Paul figured that his hard times could only end well for him, that it would only either get better or he would be with Christ. And that's how it is with Christians. That's what he's saying to the people. He's saying, look, things are either going to get better for you or you're going to end up with Jesus. It only ends up well for Christians in the hard times of our life, right? Right? It only ends up well. And this is the first way that our knowledge of resurrection should function in our life, to give us hope in the face of despair. Secondly, it should give us confidence to risk everything in this life for the gospel. So Paul points to his, this in the text here. He says in verse 30, he says, And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I die every day. I mean that, brothers. Just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, then what have I gained? And so Paul is saying here, if there's no resurrection, then why do I have any confidence or why do I have any inclination to spend my life the way I do for the gospel if there's no resurrection? Why am I attacked by beasts? And he may be referring to, you know, the sort of Roman circuses type things that carried on or just the dangers of his travel. You know, why am I beaten up and thrown out of every town I go into? Why am I spending my days in jail if there's no resurrection, if there's no benefit to this? If, if, if the only pleasure that we're going to get in the bodies is here in this world, he goes on to say, then we should eat and drink for tomorrow we die. If there's no benefit to the future, then what am I doing this? Why am I getting whipped and beaten and thrown out of, ta- out of town? But Paul knows there is a resurrection and that knowledge then affects the way he lives because Paul knows there's a resurrection. He says here, he says, if there's no resurrection, why would I do this? But he does know there's a resurrection. And so he does do this. He is willing to give up the pleasures of this life in the ministry of the gospel. And so Paul is putting forth here for the people in Corinth. He's saying, look, there's a resurrection. There is a life beyond this life. It's not all the good you can get now. It's all the good that is coming. You don't have to worry about how much pleasure you have in this life because there's a pleasure coming in the next life that's far beyond the pleasure of this life. And so you can have confidence to lay down parts of your life and lay down opportunities at pleasure and lay down opportunities at gain and lay down opportunities at comfort in this life for the sake of the gospel because you're going to get pleasure and gain and comfort and joy that you can't imagine in a life to come. And so Paul is saying, I wouldn't do this if there wasn't a resurrection. fact he says if there's no resurrection we are to be pitied above all men that we would live the way that we live and have no reward for it and so paul uses this example of the text here of seeds as bodies if you look down in verse 36 when he talks about this death and this resurrection this glorification he says what you sow does not come to life unless it dies so Paul paints a picture here of seeds and bodies and the seed goes into the ground and when you see a seed in like slow motion when they you know you throw it and they have it in the aquarium and they got the slow motion camera and they put the seed in and it's this dry dead looking seed and then it kind of shrivels and it cracks open right and you're looking at that and you're thinking this is death this is the thing dying but after it shrivels up a little bit and it gets dry and it cracks open then what happens then the little green shoot comes up right Right, then the little seed, then the little plant starts to grow out of that dead, broken husk. And when you look at a seed going into the ground, you think that's death. But it's not death, it's actually life that's taking place. And that's what Paul is painting the picture of here. He's saying, When you die in this life, it is not death, it is the germination of a life far greater than that little seed could have imagined. It's the whole tree growing up out of that. And so Paul says that. The knowledge and the understanding of our glorification should give us confidence in our ministry of the gospel. The things may happen to you in your life that seem like death. It may seem like you're choosing to give up life, you know, the good life, in order to pursue the ministry of the gospel. But Paul says you have hope in a greater thing that's coming in glorification. And what is that joy? Or what is that hope in? And what is that joy? It's the joy, the anticipation of future redemption. It's a joy in a future glory. And Paul says, look, if there's a natural body that dies, if there's a seed that goes into the ground, then there's a spiritual body that rises. And Paul concludes that it's an awesome body. Remember, our resurrections are going to be like Christ. This morning I was greeting at the door and, you know, a gentleman came and sounds like Murray um, and... uh Murray comes up to me this morning and he's shaking my hand and he's talking about what a great day it is and he's thinking, you know, it would be great to get my swimsuit on and go down to the beach. He's like, do you like that image? (laughs) I thought, "Mm, no, I'm trying not to picture that. (laughs) But Paul is saying there's a glorification coming in our bodies that we're looking forward to and that our bodies are going to be like Christ. And so when we think about our bodies in this world, And we think about how time and illness and everything takes the toll on our body. Paul says to picture something else to the church in Corinth. He says that there is a mystery here, that there is going to be a likeness of a man from heaven that we will bear, in verse 49. He says, just as we have become the likeness of earthly men, so we will bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. And so that Murray I like to think about. That Murray who, in a twinkling of an eye, is changed. And that's the Murray I think Murray likes to think about, too. That in the twinkling of an eye will be changed. And the perishable shall become imperishable. And we will no longer have the likeness of Adam, but we'll have the likeness of Jesus. Is anybody looking forward to that? Is anybody looking forward to that day when in a twinkling of an eye, the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed? That there's this physical transformation that will take place? Right? When we think about the body of Jesus, what do we know about it? His resurrection body. Thomas touched it. He made he made breakfast for them on the beach and he ate fish with them, right? It's a physical body, but it could also pass through a door. He could just enter into a room without anybody knowing how he got in there. And, and he was recognizable as Jesus, sort of, but not immediately recognizable because people walked with him on the road. They, they walked a long way and then until he actually revealed himself as who he was and they sort of looked at him, they realized it was him. They didn't realize it was him at first. And so when we think about our glorification, we go into a lot of stuff here, but as we think about our glorification, Paul is saying, look, there is a physical body that's coming. We are going to be raised imperishable. We are going to be changed. We're going to have a body that doesn't age. We are going to be able to eat. We are going to be able to feast with Jesus. We are going to be able to to, uh, do things that we can't imagine that we could do in our bodies now. And that's the bodies we're looking forward to. That's the body that Paul wants us to look forward to as Christians. That we have this glorification that's coming. That There might even be a light. There might even be a shining about us, a glowing. Because you think of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He glowed. And you think of Moses when he was in the presence of God and he had to veil his face because of the glowing of his face. And so there is this glorification of our bodies that that just shines. But we're still us. We're still recognizable. Jesus is still Jesus. And Murray is still Murray. Graham is still Graham. You know, Nancy's still Nancy. And so we'll recognize each other and be able to enjoy each other's company. And there's no sickness and there's no death and there's no tears and it's a new creation to enjoy. In Romans 8.21 it says, For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought in the glorious freedom of the children of God. And so Paul is saying here that all of creation is going to be recreated along with the freedom of our bodies, along with the redemption and the glorification of our bodies. All of creation is going to get dragged along in that glorification, waiting for our freedom. Creation is groaning. Maybe we'll finally get to see what the rest of the universe is there for. You know, maybe we'll have access to it like we don't have now. But we can think about this glorious glorification resurrection body that's coming. It's an assurance of victory that in a flash we burst into this new bodily life that Jesus is the first fruit of, that Jesus is the example of. All of that to say that this is not your best life now. Okay, If this is your best life now, then you're not a Christian. (laughs) This is your worst life. (laughs) This is the worst life you can have as a Christian. This is as bad as it gets. The only thing in our life from here is to get better. Our best life is to come. And all of this is our new reality because Jesus went into death. Jesus defeated death. Jesus turned death from a time of terror into a time of hope and transformation. And that should totally transform our thinking. It should totally transform our behavior. And it should totally transform us. And so the response that Paul would want from his listeners is hope in future glory, to treasure an eternity in the glory of Jesus and the glorification with Jesus above any treasure or any pleasure or anything we could possibly have here now. Paul would want his listeners to hope in that future glory. And notice that Paul is intensely practical here. This is what I want to leave you with. Paul does not apologize for looking forward to the joy of our glorification and everything that can be satisfied by it. You know, there's a sense in our Christian life that we say, well, I just need to love God for God and not expect any reward and love Jesus for who He is. You know, kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm marrying that girl for who she is. I'm not marrying her for her money. You know what I mean? And we get that sense with God. It's like, I've got to love God for who He is and not for any benefit. But Paul is unapologetic here. Paul says that this is something that it would be foolish to not look forward to. He said, we would be pitied if we didn't look forward to this. I would not do the things that I'm doing unless I was looking forward to this bodily resurrection. Paul unapologetically says to the Christians in Corinth, he says, you should look forward to this with hope. There is nothing wrong. In fact, it is the foundation of your Christian faith. It's foundational to the gospel that we hope in future glory, that we anticipate this glorification of our bodies. That God will do this for us and that we will be filled with this glorification. Paul is intensely practical here. He's not apologizing for looking forward to the joy of our glorification and everything that comes with it. He says, in fact, you should be doing that as Christians. And so what would it look like if we lived every day like this was our future glory and this future glory was real? I think if we did that, we'd probably worry less about current difficulties We'd be less occupied with securing pleasure and security in our life now as opposed to in our death. We would risk more now, secure in our confidence of the future. If we actually understood the glorification that was coming the way Paul understood it, that he could hope to be with Christ rather than here in the body, then we would respond to people with greater grace and mercy. We would take less offense at the inconsequential things of this world. That we would view death as a doorway to something greater. We would recognize the victory of Christ over death, that he's taken away its sting, as Paul says later in this chapter. That we would be more willing to die to ourselves so that we're not slaves to our appetites, but rather we would do good for others because we can anticipate an even greater pleasure and even greater bodies in our glorification. Or as Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, we would not be moved or shaken. We would not cease from doing good because we would know that our labor is not for nothing, but it is for our ultimate glorification, he says in verse 58. He says, don't be moved. Don't be shaken. Don't stop doing good because the labor that you do in this world is not for nothing, but it is for the receiving of the ultimate glorification in the end. And so Paul would say to his brothers and sisters in Corinth, look forward to that glory. Fix your mind on the outcome of the gospel. Fix your mind on the culmination of what Jesus did for us on the cross and in his resurrection was to draw us with him into that resurrection body and into that glorification. Look forward to that unapologetically. God intends it for our good, and it will be great if we... Fix our hearts and our minds on the glorification that is to come. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this truth. That we are not just going to be spirits that are floating around unaware of each other or in some sort of mystical sense part of the universe. But that the truth of your gospel is is that we get new resurrection bodies that never age, that never get sick, that reflect Your glory and perfection, that are free from sin, that we'll never harm each other again with them, that we'll never be harmed, that we'll be beautiful, that we'll be young, that we'll be strong. Father, that, that You've given us a hope far beyond the brokenness of this world. And it's our job now, Lord, to believe it. It's our job to make it real in our lives. That whatever besets us, that whatever we face, as tough as it gets, as hurt as we are, as much as we desire things, there is something far, far greater coming. And our faith can sit on that cornerstone because it's your promise and it's what your son accomplished on the cross and in his resurrection.